Welcome to another UCTV.TV podcast presented by University of California Television. Well, first, let me say thank you very much for having me. It's quite an honor. And second, let me say keeping this to 20 minutes is going to be a challenge, so I will speak it quickly. Um, I'm going to frame the topic as a question. And the question of the day is, oh, thank you. Did the media play a new role in dealing with race in the 2008 presidential election? In order this, to answer this question, I'm going to offer evidence uh, from a variety of sources. We're going to look at New York Times CBS News poll results. We're going to look at Pew Hispanic Center data on the Latino vote. We're going to look at um, tone and extent of coverage analyses from Pew's uh, Center for Excellence in Journalism, and we're going to look at weekly topic saturation provided also by Pew in their news coverage index, which basically gives us a sense of which stories got the most coverage in different weeks. And I'm also going to offer a sampling of headlines from different news outlets just to help illustrate some of these points. And I want to note here that uh, I'm talking almost exclusively about traditional media. I'm not opening the door to the internet because that's a debate in and of itself. So I'm going to focus on TV, radio, newspapers, that type of coverage. So I think when you put all the evidence together, uh, there's a definitive answer to this question. And that answer is, it depends. So I challenge you to debate that answer. <laughs> on the one hand, priming race, whether implicitly or explicitly, and activating racial attitudes um, in an effort to alter political decision-making is not new, and no one would suggest it is. Decades of studies have demonstrated, of course, that political campaigns invoke race-coded issues to gain strategic political advantage. You can think of numerous examples from the 80s and Reagan's special interest groups to um, Bush 41's uh, Willie Horton appeals in 88-ish. Uh, Bill Clinton's foreign workers ads in California, I think in the 96 election. Across all of these examples, the strategy is the same. Use media messages to draw symbolic race-associated words and images that influence citizens' thoughts about the candidates and the policies. And of course, we all know why this works, because this exposure increases the potential for our judgments to be influenced by these cognitions. And it also promotes ideologically driven responses. But ultimately, what's important here is that it encourages us-them thinking. And again, this us-then thinking isn't new, but what's inevitably, inevitably different about this campaign was the media's role in using Obama's race in challenging his ability to capture any demographic. And what I mean by that is there appear to be very few us's on, Bar on Barack Obama's side and a lot of them's for him to try to win over in this debate, in this campaign, rather. Um, and this was seen in the persistent question that faced him throughout the campaign. Will fill-in-the-blank vote for Obama? Will white voters vote for Obama? Because, of course, we have the Bradley effect, or do we have the Bradley effect? There was debate about that in and of itself. Will black voters vote for Obama? Is he black enough? Will Latino voters vote for Latino? Because, again, he's black. Will Jewish voters vote for black as Obama struggles to attract the wavering Jewish vote? Will older voters vote for Obama? Will the southern voters vote for Obama? The message was, will anybody vote for this guy? <laughs> according to, and of course, according to the New York Times, nearly a fourth of Americans aren't ready for a black president. And in fact, 19% of people say that most people they know would not vote for a black presidential candidate. Do, do, do. 
Um, and to make sure the us-them contrast is pretty clear, the New York Times reports that nearly 50% of whites, oops, where are we? Nearly 50% of whites up here, hopefully you can see this, oppose programs to help minorities get ahead. And ultimately what happened is we know that Obama secured about 43% of the white vote to McCain's 55%. So what about the Latino vote? According to Newsweek, there's a black-brown divide. Politico warns Obama needs to be cautious with Latinos. The New York Times suggests in Obama's pursuit of Latinos, race plays a role. But how did it actually play out? Not only did Obama win the Latino vote, but uh, he actually gained ground that Kerry had lost in the 2004 election. So Kerry had captured about 56% of the vote, the vote. So Obama helped to pull that back. And even more important than securing these overall numbers, what Obama did was won over some of the key states that helped secure his election, like New Mexico uh, and Colorado in particular. And another important thing to note here is, of course, that the Latino share of the vote this election increased from 8 to 9 percent since the 2004 election. And we're talking about approximately 45 million people in this country, about 15 percent of the population, and about 18 million eligible voters. So this is a substantial portion of the voting population. But the question still remains, is this actually a change from the past? So as you can see, what I've highlighted is that, okay, and as we already mentioned, this is an improvement from Kerry, and it's also an improvement from Gore, who captured 62 percent of the vote, if we can see it here. But Kerry and Gore lost. So what happens when you take a look at the last victorious Democratic candidates? And what you see here is that, in fact, Clinton in 96 surpassed Obama in capturing the Latino vote, but then again he was also the incumbent. So his numbers were much higher than Latinos. However, when you look at Clinton in the 92 election, it does in fact seem that Obama gained some ground with the Latino vote. So it's kind of tough to decide. Um, was the media correct? Or was this much of the same? So I want to take a look at one more of the groups uh, that was framed in this us-them uh, sort of structure. So we had questions. Will the Jewish vote turn out for Obama? Um, according to MSNBC, Muslim rumors and his stance on Iran put him in the hot seat. The New York Times again suggests many, you know, many Jews in Florida have its doubts. And I don't know if you followed, but of course Sarah Silverman had an entire campaign on the internet uh, to try to encourage the Jewish vote for, to turn out for Obama. And how did this play out? Well, in fact, Obama handily beat McCain in capturing the Jewish vote right here at about 78% to about 21%. And in fact, he even gained ground over Kerry, who captured about 74% of the Jewish vote, again compared to Obama's 78%. So this touches on this theme of us-them coverage, um, but we haven't talked yet about themes that try to tap into broader race-coded issues. And one of the more prominent themes uh, was that of Obama as un-American. And this Obama as un-American idea really came in two forms. We had Obama the un-American slash Muslim, and we had Obama the un-American slash radical. So I'm going to talk about Obama the un-American Muslim first. And here, um, news stories varied, but coverage began pretty early. Um, and if you look at the Atlantic's report, we saw that 
the emphasis was on Clinton's advisor, Mark Penn, advising her to emphasize Obama's lack of American roots. And we saw this theme reemerge over and over again. Obama's not American enough, emphasizing his middle name. Um, we saw this heavily covered on different news channels. Fox News um, relied heavily on using his name over other channels. And of course, we saw a lot of differences depending on the types of channels people tended to prefer. But this really came to a head. It really hit its peak in coverage when Fox News anchor Edie Hill referred to the gesture between Barack Obama and Michelle Obama after it seemed clear that he had secured the Democratic nomination when they engaged in the fist bump. And we got to that point in time in the campaign, and she referred to the this fist bump when, when teasing an upcoming segment as uh, the terrorist fist jab. So. What did this coverage look like? As you can see, it starts out pretty low on the radar. It starts out pretty low on the radar. Um, and then it spikes up uh, over time and hits almost a peak around this terrorist fist jab notion. But this peak actually occurs before we even get to the infamous New Yorker coverage. So at the point in time, here, when we're at about 4% of total news coverage out there, we haven't even seen the New Yorker cover yet. And when we get here, I think what we actually have is the media's coverage of media coverage taking center stage. So we've lost focus altogether on the campaign, and we're emphasizing more what the media's role is in this process. Now that said, it's still activating these same notions that I talked about earlier that influence how voters make their political decisions. What's also really important in my mind about this cover is it led to my favorite moment in the campaign, which was um, when Jon Stewart and Stephen Colbert satirized the satire. So I think this might be a moment for us to reflect on as media scholars. Okay, but despite all of this, how much cover was really being devoted to this issue? If you take a look, at the amount of time devoted to different topics during the week that this really hit its peak, you could see that the issue of Obama's race, Obama's race and electability and the New Yorker cover ended up amounting to close to 15% of total news coverage, which is a, a pretty hefty amount of time devoted to this issue. And if you catch the typo on this page, I would like to let you know that um, Pew did that and not me. Uh, and this theme stays on the news agenda for quite some time, but in a variety of different forms. By the time we get to, I think we're in August here, the campaigns are actually fighting with each other or they're at odds about which camp is actually playing the race card. And we got to this point in the campaign, the big issue on the table was uh, Obama trying to counter some of these ads by suggesting that he may not look like uh, the, people, the presidents that you typically see on the dollar bill or some form of that statement. So both camps are now fighting with each other about who's using the race card. Of course, prior to this coverage about Obama, Obama the un-American slash Muslim, we also had the, well prior to this coverage and throughout this coverage, we also had the theme of Obama the un-American slash radical making a lot of noise. And this centered on coverage around the issue of Reverend Wright. Um, and this really hit a peak in March, but it stayed on the news agenda for months. But at its peak, by around the week of March 24th, during that time frame, the Reverend Wright story accounted for 11% of the news coverage on the campaign. So was, they were receiving a significant amount of coverage, and news correspondents 
We're commenting on a regular basis about this issue. And just to give you a glimpse of what we're talking about, in the LA, if, you t if you did a search on the LA Times during this time frame, over 30 stories appeared in just a couple day period on the Reverend Wright topic alone. So you type in Reverend Wright, you have a variety of choices for your reading pleasure. And again, this is only a couple day period. But what's important to note about this, of course, is that it opened the door for Obama's A More Perfect Union speech. And I think most would agree that it was a success. More Americans paid attention to the Reverend Wright story and Obama's race speech than any other campaign-related issues at that time. The campaign dominated the news. It made up 83% of news coverage. And I think this is, oh, that's terrible. Help. <laughs> Thank you. I'm the media person who knows nothing about technology. Sorry. I meant to use this pointer, not this one. So as you can see, campaign coverage dwarfed the next news topic on the agenda, which is the Iraq policy debate at only 4%. But what's also notable about this was not only did the campaign dominate news coverage, but Barack Obama himself was dominant within that campaign coverage. So 72% of the stories focused on Obama, with only 30% uh, addressing Hillary Clinton and a scant 17% on John McCain. Now, I think, again, most would agree that uh, Obama's A More Perfect Union speech was a pretty successful attempt at mitigating uh, some of this controversy. This doesn't mean that the un-American-slash-radical Obama theme disappeared from the news. As late as October, new ads were emerging, highlighting his relationship um, with Reverend Wright and also trying to underscore relationships or conceived relationships with William Ayers. So if you take all of these themes we've been talking about, some, all of this us-them comparisons that were going on, and ask, are these the dominant narratives in the news? Actually, you'll find that the answer is no. On the other hand, what we have found, maybe, is that Obama is a 2008 version of the Teflon candidate. If you take a look at the amount of coverage and the tone of coverage, you get a little bit of a different picture. When you compare the coverage of Obama to McCain and even to past candidates, some interesting results emerge. So compared to McCain, you can see that Obama's positive coverage far surpassed McCain's and his negative coverage was substantially below McCain's. But it wasn't all that different from Kerry in 2004. But he certainly did better than Bush in 2000. And you can track this over time and really see how this played out. You can assess this in pretty great detail. So if you'll indulge this chart for just a second, the blue line represents the positive coverage for Obama. The red line is the negative coverage and the yellow is the neutral. So you can see right after the Republican convention, his negatives were pretty high. But as soon as we had the Lehman collapse and McCain's strategic uh, suspension of his campaign, Obama's negatives dropped and his positives skyrocketed. Now they dropped again, his positives dropped again around the second presidential debate, which was around the same time as the Ayers controversy and this resurgence of Reverend Wright um, media coverage. Um, but then it sprang back up pretty quickly. So if you actually make a note of the trend in the positive line, if you can see my pointer, this blue line, if you make a note of this line, you can actually see how this corresponded with polling results. If you take a look at the tone of coverage in relation to polling results, 
you'll see that Obama's uh, polling support continued to rise even after we saw dips in, in the positive coverage. And in fact, it looks like media coverage started to mimic polling results, climbing with his polling support. For McCain, on the other hand, uh, the outlook was not so good. He had a strong convention, but things, he just basically didn't recover um, after the financial crisis emerged. Things uh, never rebounded for him. And you can see this even more clearly if you put this side by side. Uh, the brunt of the ne negative coverage in the campaign uh, after the election was um, centered on McCain. So the tone really clearly appears to favor Obama throughout the election. So in addition to positive coverage, one last thing I want us to consider is how much coverage did Obama receive? And here again, Obama wins out over McCain. And in fact, he wins out over Hillary Clinton as well. If you start in January of 2008 and move through June, early June 2008, you can see that almost without exception, McCain, uh, Obama is getting, receiving more coverage than his competitors. And if you continue from June till just about the election, you can see that with the exception of the, air, the time actually around the conventions and the second debate, um, Barack Obama's coverage exceeded that of McCain's. So the overall tone of coverage is more positive and the extent of coverage was more positive. So what can we conclude? Were attempts made to link Obama to racial cues known to influence the criteria voters used to make political decisions? I think we can say yes. Was the narrative in the media dominated by this coverage? I think we can say no. Were similar attempts made to alter citizens' views about McCain? You betcha. So, as I said from the start, I think it all depends. And that's what I have for you today. Thanks. So I have to admit to something, and that is that I'm not a media specialist. Um, so I don't have really cool slides or a nice presentation to give you. And um, after uh, seeing Dana's presentation, I'm starting to realize what it is that my students are missing. And so perhaps, if any are in the audience, I will start using all of these really fancy slides and the thing. I am going to start by telling you some things that pissed me off if I can use those words, about uh, the media's coverage of the election. And particularly, what I thought um, about the ways in which that um, Obama in particular were racialized. So I, I will also admit that I'm very happy that he won, but there were things that happened in the course of the election or the campaigns that actually uh, pissed me off. And so one of the things that really annoyed me was the fact that, and it's highly understandable, but it was the fact that um, so much attention was actually paid um, in the LA Times in particular and to a lesser degree some uh, media sources to black people's reactions um, to Obama's candidacy. Right? And in many ways that was an entirely understandable. Um, I mean this is, this is pretty big if I may say for us. Um, at the same time uh, clearly you cannot win uh, an election by only garnering the black vote, right? So there were a whole pile of other people who actually voted for Obama um, who certainly had some strong opinions about why it is that they voted for him, what the meaning of voting for him um, was for them. And we heard virtually nothing about this. So one of these things that I just particularly, there were so many of these LA Times articles where it is that you'd have 
um, uh, you know, a, a black face crying or a black face in, or black people in jubilation over some uh, Obama victory, which, of course, I can entirely understand. Um, you know, I was feeling the same way. But I, I was just always thinking about the number of people's reactions who were not um, included in that, who I think, whose reactions I think would have been particularly important. I saw this also, well, not just me, but we also saw this as well um, with, um, in the coverage of um, the inauguration. Similar sort of thing where the, the bulk of the people who were either interviewed or whose faces were featured um, tended to be black Americans. Um, and the other issue, I think, you know, this is somewhat more, um, not necessarily philosophical, but political, I think, um, is the fact that um, in terms of trying to rid ourselves of certain stereotypes, which I think that this election should have been about first and foremost, to when you're constantly giving us these images of, of black responses to Obama's uh, candidacy and also his, uh, his victory, um, it, I, I'm sorry, it makes it seem, or at least it, it did in my mind, that essentially black voters or the black electorate was purely voting on the basis of identity politics and not at all on the basis of what it is that Barack Obama had to say as a candidate, right? I mean, what made him more, more appealing to others beyond race? Now, mind you, this is something that only happened after um, South Carolina, and there, I could have, if we have time later, it is interesting to see how it is that uh, I think media coverage tended to racialize him as well, although um, the Obama, he himself, as well as the, uh, the team, made it such a point um, not to, or if anything, to kind of de-racialize him or unracialize him. Um, but once, once it is that he won um, South Carolina, the South Carolina primary, um, and we remember the kind of remark that uh, our former president made that I think even had a, a number of people quite uh, upset, um, that Jesse Jackson won here too. And, you know... Um, but trying to, and I, and I kind of feel like the media actually picked up on this and really tried to uh, racialize the Obama candidacy after that point. And one of, the, one of the dangers, I think, in that is that we then forgot about Iowa and, um, and how well he also did in New Hampshire. And I'm referring to states where it is that you had virtually uh, either minuscule or, or no black people. Um, and he was doing particularly well in those places, which was, of course, going to foreshadow um, how it is that he would do uh, in the Northwest. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it when it is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't he in the, in the primaries win like Montana? Yeah. Right? And he, and, he, I, and he took Montana again. Uh, or did he take I can't remember right now. If, huh? He came, he came close, you know? And you're like, Montana, you know? I mean, I was calling the folks and like, do we know anybody in Montana? <laughs> you know, who have done like a whole pile of like, you know, shady uh, absentee ballot things, you know. I mean, it, it was particularly crazy. But I'm, I'm, I'm raising this to say that in, um, in kind of presenting these images of, of black jubilation, we didn't get a sense of what it is that, um, you know, non-blacks or particularly whites and other, other groups actually felt about um, Obama as a candidate. And so I really f feel that one of the things that it did is that it, it, it kind of reinforced this idea that um, black folks were voting for somebody because, um, because on the basis of race and, and not necessarily the person's politics. Now, a related thing um, that was another cause of, of my upset um, was the fact that um, 
soon after South Carolina, and again, not to kind of lay a lot of blame on uh, former President Clinton, but I, I definitely feel that he, in particular, was playing the race card. Um, well, I guess I'm using it wrong. He wasn't playing the race card. He was actually racializing things, particularly after, after South Carolina. And one of the things that entered into the, uh, the Clinton campaign, um, and of course it's the sort of thing that McCain and Palin would later take, take up, was this idea of if Obama could actually appeal to uh, white working-class males, right? Um, because, of course, that's, that's the constituency that the Democratic Party has been trying to almost regain um, since uh, the Democrats um, essentially um, decided to, because it was politically expedient, to, um, to hitch their wagon to the civil rights movement. But as a result of that, gaining white, uh, particularly white working-class male voters has been quite elusive. And so one of the things that, one of the questions was, that was consistently asked is, like, can Obama actually appeal to uh, white working class uh, males? And there, too, I'm just going to repeat myself, what was forgotten um, is the fact that he had done well um, in states where there, were not, uh, there was not uh, a black constituency or electorate to speak of, right? So clearly, um, he could and did do well um, among uh, white working male voters. I mean... Um, the other thing is, is that ultimately um, he took, uh, I think, just over 40% of, of the white vote. Um, and that was just as good, if not better, of a number of Democratic candidates in the, in the last few years. Right? So this is pretty momentous. So the question kind of, it reinforced something that, while true, um, I think was, was, was exaggerated. It also said to me, and I don't know if people picked up on this, that um, we tend to, or at least some people in the media, have some idea as to where it is that the real uh, working class resides. And somehow it's not in the Northwest, um, and it's not necessarily even in the, uh, in the Northeast, but it's largely, it's in the Midwest and it's in the South, right? And if it's, only, it's only when you're able to capture those working classes that you can talk about having captured a working class. These other regions, for some reason, don't seem to be as important. I don't know if people have picked up on that, but that was something that I noted. And of course, what we have to be mindful of is, is the fact that Obama ultimately did take, um, what, Indiana, Michigan, and Ohio, uh, and Pennsylvania, uh, which were pretty sure that Indiana was in there as well, um, which were states, of course, that uh, even Kerry struggled to get, um, which is, I think is actually pretty momentous. The other thing that was problematic for me, and this is kind of far more of a, a race and class issue, is that um, in posing the question that way, um, instead of posing the question, will, um, are, will all professed white liberals vote for Obama, or are they ready to vote for Obama? Um, which I think would have been um, a fair question um, and a less classed biased one because I think that the way that things were left by constantly framing things as if white working class uh, males in particular can vote for Obama, that it's um, any kind of racial awareness or even racism is by and large a working class issue, right? Um, that somehow middle class people and elite folks have somehow... I guess um, they, can, they can literally afford to be above um, any sort of racial attitudes. Now, um, to me, if you look at uh, the returns, um, and I, I never thought that I would ever say that I agree, or that Newt Gingrich said something 
that I would agree with. But I did hear Newt on, 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 on one program, probably Fox, and, um, and he made this comment that I thought, um, you know, I said, oh, my God, I agree with Newt on something, right? Uh, and he said that he thought that there would be probably as many people who uh, claimed that they were going to vote for Obama who would not in the booth as there were those who said that they were not going to vote for him and actually did in the booth, right? And, and I just, I, you know, until Newt said it, I didn't even think about that, that possibility of kind of working um, the, the other way or the, in, in, the, in the former way. But I think that if you, if you look at the results um, and the fact that they're not necessarily that, you know, remarkably different from former Democratic candidates, it says to me, or at least suggests to me, that there must have been um, middle-class uh, white voters um, who I think identify as liberal, who I don't think um, ended up voting for Obama. Um, and that's something else that we can talk about or speculate as to why that, that was the case. Um, finally, Sadana, you should be happy that you took more time because I was going to be short. All right. What's that? Right on time, okay. So finally, one of the things that, this was less of a, um, it was less of a racial issue, um, although there's a racial component to it. Uh, and it was far more an issue of, uh, I guess, dissecting the, what's the word I'm looking for? Dissecting, uh, the Obama win. And I mean this particularly in the way of what it, what it is that I did not see in editorials that I would hear, um, and I'm talking about the LA Times and New York Times in particular, and what I did hear um, on, say, KPFK, um, so kind of leftist or non-mainstream sources were entertaining this. And this was, if in fact the Obama uh, won candidacy and victory would have been possible had the Bush administration's tenure ended positively, right? And the reason why, um, this is where, the, for me, the kind of the racial component comes in. The reason why this is a particularly important question for me is that if we answer that question um, in the negative and say that if, no, that if this was, if we had ended with uh, eight years of a very positive um, Bush, um, Bush presidency, that there would have been absolutely little or no way that Obama would have, would have actually attained the White House. Then it, it says to me that some of the self-congratulation that we we're doing around where it is that we've come racially, I think, is actually premature, right? And we should actually be looking at this a little bit more as an, as an episode uh, rather than uh, kind of some sort of trend. Um, I'm, I'm going to actually use my, uh, my father's words here because... When we were talking about the election, um, he would say things like, well, um, I never thought we would see this in my lifetime, but this is probably the last time we'll see it, you know, this sort of thing. And he was being um, joking, but at the same time, he was also being quite serious. Um, in other words, can we talk about this as actually being the, uh, kind of a, a watershed in the sense of, um, I'll say it like this, can we imagine... Um, in the wake of um, a single or even a, a two-term Obama presidency, um, say a, a Chinese-American running a su successful campaign and taking office, right? Um, or 
um, a, a Jewish American woman actually um, taking the office after Obama, or doing it perhaps in, in maybe another of uh, election cycles. Um, and to me, if we, if we realize that we, we hesitate to answer that question, or if we think that it's probably highly unlikely, then we're actually looking at something that's far more episodic than we are looking at something that um, I think um, means that this is um, some, some marked change um, in the way that we think about um, who should represent us and, and who is, kind of, who is a, a capable or who are capable candidates. So anyway, these were some of the things that upset me, that I noticed, uh, that I thought I would share with you. And with that, I'm going to end. Thanks so much. I'm going to ask Dana if she'd like to make a comment um, to add to Chris or to ask him a question or whatever. So I guess my question is... Right into the mic. One of the things that I thought about was um, Obama offering a new prototype in the media. So he's an image who is going to be getting extensive coverage um, and coverage in a, as a hopefully positive, in a positive light. Do you think that might shift some of these attitudes and uh, some of the potential for maybe electing that Jewish woman candidate that you mentioned? So I think part of his appeal was that he was atypical of the stereotype that's most prevalent in the news media today and presents a different prototype that we don't usually see in the news media. Um, immediately, Dan, as you were formulating the question, I was thinking of, um, well, yes, I think, it's in, I, th I think it's entirely possible. But one of the things that um, I was both proud of but also troubled by is the fact that Obama almost seems like the, the perfect uh, candidate in ways. Uh, I mean, um, which is to say, and this is not in any way to cast dispersions on, on our former president, but, <laughs> but one of the things that I'm, I'm not liking is the fact that in order for an atypical person to be our president, I'll phrase it that way, uh, that person has to be pretty exceptional. Now, of course, we want to accept, you know, we want, we want um, extraordinary things, extraordinary characteristics of the person that we're putting into office, ideally. Um, but we know full well that there have been some pretty uh, unextraordinary people <laughs> who have held the office. And which is, which is to say simply that it, it, I'm, I'm just sometimes afraid, and you know, other people have expressed this uh, from the beginning. I'm just afraid that um, it means then that in order to, to get um, that, um, those positive, um, that, that, that positive feedback, that positive, um, to maintain that positive image, you have to be, or the candidate has to be, the atypical candidate has to be extraordinary. Um, and I'm just, I'm, I'm somewhat afraid of what it is that that suggests.
if that makes sense to people. Let, let me bring it back to the media a little bit. Um, I think both of you seem to suggest that both Democrats and Republicans tried to activate racial stereotypes and anxieties to gain benefit. The question is, how did the media react to those and why? Why do you think the media ended up with the positive stories on Obama? Why do you think that the kinds of ways to activate stereotypes had a big push, as you pointed out in your mm -hmm. stories, they were negative, then all of a sudden they became positive. What were the things that, that, that caused the media to be, quote, self-reflective, um, critical, or was it the fact that we hit an, an, an economic crisis that this became too important to even make race that central? <laughs> I'm sorry, we're having a little... Yes, a mini-conference. <laughs> well, I, I don't want to attribute uh, Obama's successes to the decline of our economy, but most of the polling results do suggest that that was a, the pivotal point where things turned. Now, that said, I mean, an optimistic reflection on this is that people were paying attention to this campaign. So if you want to take that view, even... If you looked at uh, the trend line that I showed for positive media coverage, even when the media coverage turned negative, his polling results continued to increase to the positive. And I think that actually shifted the media's attention. They saw the polls kept rising, and media got in line with that. So one way to interpret that is to think, okay, people were paying attention. This election mattered to people. People were paying attention this time. Not that people don't pay attention <laughs> all the time, but... Uh, and so the media followed suit, maybe. I mean, that's one, one possible interpretation, having not thought about that particular question before. <laughs> of course, Mel looks at me like, and what do you have to say? And I don't know what I really have to say. Um, I guess the first thing that, uh, that comes to mind is that um, I thought Obama was incredibly... Um, crafty and versatile in, in deflecting criticism. Um, and I mean, Dana, you referred to as Teflon, and we know who the original Teflon man was, and, you know, he was also quite good that way. Um, but I think um, in, in, unlike Reagan, I really feel that one of the ways that uh, Obama is, is, is quite effective is in um, in his rhetorical ability. And I think, and not to say then that because of, of, of his skills that way, that it became much easier to uh, almost join him than fight him. But I feel that there was a certain way that that in part was done. Because I, um, when we saw the figures that uh, Dana had shown us before about the number of positive stories um, in comparison to negative. I mean, it's, it is actually, it's quite striking. Um, but I think in this case, I do want to attribute um, some of that to, to his skills, which I think a lot of people recognize as being pretty, pretty extraordinary. I agree, but I guess we should also note, of course, that Obama had the money. So, you know, he was able to continue to put money into his campaigns. I mean, he, he had ads in Arizona, 
which seemed a very uh, unnecessary thing to do. But I think at one point, some of the polls suggested that he might even be able to take Arizona, which of course he didn't and wasn't even close. But I mean, he had enough money to keep on the agenda with positive messages in every state across the country. And, and you can't discount the effect of that. Now, I know we've all said we're not talking about new media, but you have to, you kind of opened the door yeah, when you said course, money. What was, what, what do you think the impact of new media was and how did that kind of ability to have a little bit less mediated kind of communication to the populace um, affect the ability to kind of uh, activate these stereotypes or, or racist uh, uh, appeals? Do you have any? You can do it, Chris. You can do it. <laughs> I wish there were more people up here, you know? Um, wow, because, you know, the, the, the first thing I'm thinking of is that, as you can see, as somebody who hasn't even mastered the old media, right, uh, for me to answer a question about the new media is actually pretty ironic. Um, however, from what it is that I've heard, um, particularly for a lot of, um, and, and, and apparently on this campus, I mean, you had so many, um, you know, young folks who were, um, you know, quite involved um, in um, a number of ways of, of, of reaching people that, um, you know, which were, were quite effective, quite important um, because of, of the, the youth vote. I mean, Obama's... Uh, Obama's um, what he was able to garner, garner was actually quite quite extraordinary, and particularly with in the way of new voters. Um, as far as I think the last part of your question, Mel, was um, with 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 regard to stereotypes. Yes. Um, that I really can't. I have to say that this is when I have to defer to Donna because I'm hoping that she will have more information than I do. I defer my time to anyone in the audience who would like to answer that question. Well, I guess that is, that, that is, that is an invitation to have people stand up and ask questions or comments. And if you line up, we will bring the mic. Did you think so? Yeah. Did I see my name? Really? Hi, thanks uh, very much for a wonderful uh, pair of presentations. Uh, Dan, I've got a question about media bias. If you look at your data one way, you could say, well, Obama got so much more coverage and it was so much more positive that obviously the media were biased. On the other hand, you could say the biggest difference in the volume of coverage was during the primaries where McCain didn't have a story. He won the primaries uh, out of the gate. So there was no story for McCain. And then in the positive-negative tone of, of media coverage, it, it seems interesting that McCain had sort of one disaster after another. So is the, the tone because the media just didn't like McCain or that McCain screwed up serially over the course of the campaign and gave cause for negative tones? So what, what do you make of that? I do think there were a series of mistakes that were made that, I mean, they were reporting coverage of errors uh, that led to negative coverage. But that said, the reason I don't like the idea of media bias, and this, we didn't have time to get into this today, is there is so much selective exposure to media that the idea that media bias is really uh, 
infiltrating people's uh, cognitions is, is tough to swallow. People, uh, we have ample evidence to suggest that people seek out the media content that's consistent with their existing views. I mean, I will admit I very infrequently watched Fox. So, you know, and of course, I sought out information that was a little more consistent. That said, you know, you try to be well balanced and, and get the greater perspective, but with the, I think this is where the internet does make a big difference. If you can't get it on TV, you can find, find it on the internet. Uh, so I, I'm not a fan of the media bias uh, agenda just because we are, we're, we, I think we have to pay so much more attention to what we choose in the media already because we have so many options that it starts to eliminate its influence. And in fact, I think it's encouraged um, the growth of more biased media outlets because there are so many options to choose from now. So, I mean, I, I don't think anyone wouldn't suggest that MSNBC was, a, was not a response to Fox. Um, so, I, that's just my personal opinion. And I think that gets at the notion of whether or not um, these attempts to activate racial animus, whether they were just badly done or ineffective. If they were badly done, we haven't accomplished much. If they were ineffective, then maybe we, we, you know, it's a different story. So that's where, you know, we haven't seen the test case, and that's where I think your notion, Chris, of yes, it's great we have Obama, but will that be the end, you know, is an open, open issue. We have one here. Uh, I have a, like a two-part question. So the first part is, I sort of was, came here really interested in specific ways that uh, during the presidential election, certain specifically Latino groups were targeted. Um, I heard general talk about it, but I was wondering specific issues or specific topics that were used to exploit uh, the Latino voting population. Uh, I know for a fact that uh, I think only three out of ten Latinos in California voted for Barack Obama, but the overwhelming majority voted for him in the general election. Could you talk about how maybe that was influenced? And the other part is, has media coverage and exploitation of uh, minority groups or uh, just individual races in general changed as a result of, of Barack Obama's election? Hmm. Well, in terms of the primaries, I don't think, I mean, I think over 70% of Democrats who voted for Hillary Clinton moved to Barack Obama. And I don't think there was, I think that's probably, I think that's accurate. I don't remember the number. It might even be 78%. I don't remember the numbers. So, you know, I think there was a lot of media discussion about will, you know, Clinton Democrats move over to Barack Obama. And in fact, they did in, in mass. So I, I don't think it's notable that moving from the primaries to the, to the general election personally. Now, that said, both McCain and Obama put a significant amount of money into Spanish-language TV advertisements, um, also trying to uh, provoke race-based distinctions um, in their ads. I didn't look at anything in the news, in newspaper, in print coverage, um, but there were certainly a lot of ads that aired uh, on TV um, from both camps. Um, I think I've lost sight of the second part of that question, 
or a part future. of that. In the future, do you see this happening in the future again? Yeah, I was just more asking the specific issues that were used to uh, sway the voting population oh. one well, way or I the other. Sorry, and I think part of it for, uh, for I believe, what strategists in Barack Obama's campaign suggested was they were more heavily targeting some of those states that Kerry had lost. So losing a few percentage points in California since the 2004 election, which they did, was not something that they were worried about because they felt they were going to get this state. And instead, I think they focused their agenda on states where they were on the margins, um, where winning over that state with the Latino vote um, was more consequential. Um, in terms of in the future, uh, how about I let you have that one? <laughs> and, and what issue, what, what issue areas did, did Obama stress with Latinos vis-a-vis -vis McCain that seemed to make a difference? <laughs> Immigration. Yeah, it's tough because there were so many. There were, I mean, it varied from region to region. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were some of those ads that tried, some of Obama's ads tried to link McCain to Rush Limbaugh, and those were, of course, controversial because there was question about whether or not that was actually a valid association, so, and they were pretty regional, so it's, um, I mean, obviously, the, as you noted, the immigration issue uh, was heavily played out, so, but. And McCain had a problem because he was pro-immigration, at least providing a way for citizenship, and his party was against it, so he had to play it down in the, na in the national conversation, but play it up yep. to Latino audiences. And, and it ultimately, of course, didn't work because he shifted from being sort of pro, yeah. in the polls, the perception of him being pro-Latino mm -hmm. to being anti, so that failed for him. I've got the mic, so I guess I'm next. Uh, I think both of you made some really interesting observations, and, and one of the issues I'd like to, maybe we could talk about a little bit more, is about whether this really is a blip or whether there's the chance for some longer-term um, change in attitudes or stereotypes such that we might have a better chance of seeing a more diverse um, population of candidates mm -hmm. or successful candidates. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking uh, in particular about uh, intergroup contact and the parasocial contact hypothesis. The more we're exposed to members of an um, outgroup, that especially if they're positive depictions, that it might slowly change our perceptions of those groups that might make us more uh, open uh, to being closer with them or, or seeing them more positively in the future. So I was wondering if perhaps you could talk about uh, the coverage from this campaign and the fact that it was more positive for Obama or the future coverage that we'll see over the course of the next four, maybe eight uh, years and what that might mean for the potential um, of opening up the doors to um, this more diverse, diverse set of candidates. Sorry. Well, I think that's part of what I was trying to suggest with the idea of um, when I was asking that question, which wasn't phrased particularly well, most of the news coverage, most of the content analyses of news coverage um, in terms of depictions of, uh, of race suggest that African Americans are portrayed extremely negatively, disproportionately as criminal. I mean, of course, you know this research. Um, and it's been, of course, a lot of that research was done here. And, uh, you know, it's, they've been showing these same results for, for quite some time. So I think this is a potential opportunity since we know that the quality of coverage and the amount of coverage both matter, that it's an overtime process. I mean, if we see heavy coverage of 
President Obama, if he continues to stay positive in the minds of, you know, if, if the coverage continues to be positive, which is an interesting issue. I think we were talking about this earlier. His polling results are even higher than, they're the highest yet, um, despite the fact that his uh, policies are actually uh, sort of dropping in support. So he's maintaining some these high, this, this high positive polling result. The point being, if we have four years of coverage, eight years of coverage of this positive candidate, um, and the balance shifts away from this stereotypical norm that we've seen for decades, I mean, what our research on media effects would suggest is that this should help shift attitudes and thinking. I mean, it should prime this new prototype that, you know, will hopefully now become chronically activated in people's mind and shift people's perceptions, give us some new, some new notions to work with. So, I mean, theoretically, that's, that would, should be the case. Can I just add my two cents? And it's, and it's not to be pessimistic, but I think that we've seen, and I'm thinking about, um, this, this might be like a really terrible uh, example, but I'm thinking like, for example, of Weimar Germany, right? Uh, where it is that you had almost this, um, this explosion um, of a Jewish presence on, on, in the German uh, cultural, political scene, in the German-speaking world um, that you hadn't seen before. And then we know what came soon thereafter, which is to say that sometimes um, I'm not sure if it's just a matter of, of contact um, and even certain images, because sometimes I feel that there are other forces um, things around uh, econ uh, economics, um, and it, it's not to, not, to, not to say, it's not just economics, right? But we also know that, that at the same time that uh, Obama is now the successful candidate, um, he was the first one that needed security detail, you know? Which is to say that uh, we're still facing a lot of people who don't like this. I mean, a, a good friend of mine was sharing with me um, you know, just some of the, the crazy jokes that are being said, uh, that are being circulated in various places. And, and, and they're just, they're malicious. I mean, they're, they're actually, they're very, very malicious. And so, which is to say that I'm not, um, I don't want to be unduly pessimistic, but I think that we, we have to recognize that even in, um, even with this, this victory that, uh, that, you know, uh, is potentially, I mean, is, is, is so promising. There's absolutely no guarantee. And I think it's, it's very dangerous for us to be thinking about things in a, in a linear fashion um, because we know that we have got a number of examples historically uh, where the contact is happening, um, the, um, the presence is there. And then you're looking at that same society uh, a decade later or, or 20 years later and you're saying, I can't believe this is the same place. You know? I have two questions. The first one particularly directed at Professor McCauley in terms of you had mentioned you had some fear about what this episode meant if, if uh, the success of Obama um, had much to do with his perceived exceptionality or outstanding persona. Um, what did you mean by that? And the second question is directed to both of you or either one of you. Um, some of your colleagues in other departments or other disciplinary fields have suggested that this episode um, merely reinforces the notion of 
American exceptionalism. Mm. And I'm curious about what your comments might be on that um, particular idea. Yeah, I was just referring to the fact that, um, I mean, when we, when we think about, when I, um, when I heard that uh, Lawrence Tribe, uh, people know the, the, favorite, the, the famous uh, legal scholar at Harvard, but when I heard that Lawrence Tribe had said that, um, you know, I've been telling people for, for 20 years that Barack Obama was the best student I ever had, you know, I mean, coming from Lawrence Tribe, that's pretty big, you know? And um, so that's what I mean in, in the sense of, um, of Obama being a, a pretty uh, extraordinary or incredible character. And, and in other words, he would be, in, in certain ways, in, in terms of his kind of formal credentials, he would be a pretty tough act to follow. Um, and, you know, my fear is, is that because you get somebody, um, and I'm, I don't mean this, I don't, I'm, I'm not making light of him when I say this, but when you have somebody who looks so good on paper, um, well then, do we start demanding that of others who are coming from those groups to, to you know, I, I, you need to look something like him, or you have to look something like her. Um, and then my question then becomes, are we then holding, say, white candidates to the same standard? And so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of fearful that we, we, there's kind of like a, almost a two-tier system um, working in, in, a, in a really funny way. So that's, that's actually what I meant. Uh, let, let me add something to that. Um, <laughs> Gordon Allport had a, a concept of categorization that you put everyone in a group. But every once in a while, there's someone in that group that you pull out. And you say, no, it's an exception for that person, because he's not like the others. And that's what I think you mean by exceptionalism, Chris, that this may be just another re-fencing, putting a fence around every other black person, but then there's Barack Obama. So, you know, that's the question. Is this a categorization where we're changing the category, or we're just pulling out Obama and saying the category still exists, but Obama doesn't represent it. I hear that we've come to the end, and I want to thank our great panelists. I want to thank our Dean Melvin Oliver for uh, moderating and asking your questions. I thank you very much for coming today, and we really appreciate your participation. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.